Welcome back to the Living on Purpose podcast with Pastor John and Sam. This is episode 37, and this is a fun question. Uh, This is a question we just received that says, what are the top five Bible verses that are commonly used out of context, and what do they actually mean? All right, are you ready to tick some people off? I think we are. I think let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, this is a this is a question that just uh, caught me. I like this one. Yeah. I like them all, but this one really is something that uh, I think a lot of people will probably struggle with, but I hope it helps you because the most important thing we have to understand about reading the Bible is that we have to read the verses in front of it and behind it when we're looking at a particular passage of Scripture. Yeah, can't just take one piece out of the puzzle. And expect to have the whole idea of the puzzle, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a context. And so we have to be true to the context. And so there are a lot of different verses that we can use. Here are five that I would say are commonly used out of context. The first one is used all the time. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope, and a future. So many Christians mistakenly interpret this verse as a personal promise that God has everything perfectly planned out for their lives, Mm. when in actuality, this was not written to the church. So it's not written to us. It was written to the nation of Israel. The Israelites were living in captivity in Babylon as slaves, Jeremiah 29, 1 through 4. However, the news delivered in this passage was not what they wanted to hear. There would be another 70 years before God would free them from exile and slavery, meaning that most of these people would hear this message, but they would not see that day, unfortunately. So God's promise was for future generations of Israel. This passage then serves to remind the Israelites why they were in captivity. It was because of their continual disobedience to God, their continual idolatry. And so God is reminding them of this, but also encouraging them, instructing them on how to live while they're in exile and the promise that eventually he would restore them. And so, man, this is a verse that we use all the time out of context. And I'm not saying that this can't happen in someone's life, but it's really important to understand that maybe God's not going to prosper you the way that you view prosperity. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're going to have to die for the cause. Maybe you're going to have to struggle in life. And so Jeremiah 29, 11, we have to look at a particular time period in a particular audience. And this is prophesied to the Israelites, not to the church. That would be the first one. Now that everyone's ticked off, here's another one, okay? (laughs) Uh, It's Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. You're like, Pastor John, don't do this to me. I know, you're thinking, man, that's a great verse. It's an encouraging verse. And that means that God is going to make everything good in my life. But that's not really how it is for a lot of people. Sometimes in a traumatic situation or even a sinful situation, we use this verse to speak of how God can use it for our good. And we think of our good in a sense of being healthy. And and I always use the same words, health, wealth, prosperity. Like we're, we're healthy, we're happy, we're prosperous, things are good. And sometimes we use this verse in that context, but that's not at all what it's talking about. The reality is that Sometimes there is no explanation for the bad things that happen in life other than one explanation, and that is sin. Sin causes things, ultimately. We had a dear family in our church, and we're about to, well, by the time you listen to this, the memorial will be over, but a lady in our church, 
Uh, her name is Abby. She passed away at the age of 29 mm-hmm. and her baby. It's, it's devastating, right? Mm-hmm. And so you look at a situation like that and there's no good for her that's going to come into her life other than the fact of the greatest good that she's with Jesus now in heaven. Yeah. So I want to be clear in that. But the reality is, is that her family is going to struggle through this and we're going to be there for them. And death is a result of sin. We think of disease and crime and pain and poverty, all these things. That's the answer. It's a result of sin. So instead, this verse, when we look at it in its proper context, it means that God can take any situation and create good out of it. Now, again, we're recording this before I'm going to preach the memorial. And what we're praying and hoping for is as I preach the memorial, that someone will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that would be something good coming out of something tragic. Absolutely. And that's really what the verse is talking about. In the in the Greek sentence structure itself, the focus is on the sovereign hand of God. He is good no matter what, even in suffering. And so when the enemy thinks he can use a traumatic experience to pull us away from God, don't give in, but instead turn to God and allow him to show you how much he loves you. Remember the context in Rome, many of the believers were struggling through persecution. And so if you read the whole chapter, you see this and how nothing can separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus. And he mentions all these different things, you know, and so we need to understand that like in our tragedy, God is real and he loves us and he's working his purpose out for his good and our good. All right. You ready for this next one? Let's hit it. Let's do it. This is the all-time one. <laughs> right now, those of you who are listening, guess guess what it is. I'll give you a second. All right. We can't hear you, but we, yeah. we're, we're, we're assuming you're going to say this one. <laughs> we're assuming you're going to say this one. It is Philippians 4.13. I, I can, can do, do all this. All this through, through Christ, him. through him who gives me strength. strength. There you go. We, we botched that a little bit. Well, Sorry. we did. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to do that. It's Surprise. all good. It Surprise. was it was fun, right? Okay, so here's what's going on, all right? This verse we like to use all the time. I can do it. I can do it. But this is not telling a person that he can do whatever he puts his mind to. That's not what it's saying. Instead, in the context, the Apostle Paul is speaking of his earlier years as a Pharisee where he enjoyed prestige and popularity and prosperity, wealth, all those things when he was part of that sect versus his new life in Christ that brought shipwreck and beatings and stonings and in poverty, in imprisonments, in constant attacks. Verse 12 is really important because that gives us a real idea of what's going on. He's talking in verse 12, the verse that's right before verse 13, he says, I know that it is to be in need and I know what it is like to have plenty. And then he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And that's when he says, I can do everything through Christ or him who gives me strength. So the idea is that it's in Christ. And Paul's speaking about his former life versus his current life. He's giving us an understanding of contentment. We can be content in Christ no matter what we go through, right? We can be content in Christ. And also, when we consider what the world has to offer, it will never compare to living for Jesus, even if living for Jesus is challenging, and it will be, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a new perspective that he is speaking of that's leading to his new purpose in Christ as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So the focus of the verse is, 
is the will of God for my life. If I'm in the will of God, what's going to happen? I'm going to have supernatural power to be content no matter what God brings into my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a common thread between all these verses too. And it seems to be when taken out of context, it's for the purpose of self-gratification. Yeah, that's good. It's a very selfish, self-serving, what can I get out of this Christianity and out of this Bible when really it wasn't written about me. It wasn't written about our listener. It was written about the whole world, right? That's exactly it. Like, We look at these verses and it's supposed to make our lives easier, right? When we take them out of context. But that's not at all what the purpose of Christianity is all about. It's going to be challenging. For us to live for Jesus is not easy, but it's so purposeful and it brings incredible joy. And so I think he hit the nail on the head there. It's not about us. It's about Christ. And and the thread also that I see through all these examples is the will of God, the will of God, the will of God. Not my will, but your will be done. That's what even Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Philippians 4.13, well, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can be that teacher in the public school system and stand for Jesus. I can be a parent and, and raise my kids to love God. I can go and I can stand for this or that. And I'm not saying that you can't do those things in Christ's power, but I'm saying that's not at all what the context is of Philippians 4.13. The context has to do with Paul's previous life versus his current life and At times, he had great prosperity, and at times, he had great poverty. And no matter what you're going through, the point is, is that you can be content in Christ, and he empowers you to live through whatever you're going through. Yeah, I think some people even take this verse and twist it to say, hey, I can live life how I want, because this is, you know, Christ gives me this freedom. That happens, exactly. Or even in sports, like, I can get this touchdown because... Christ gives me strength. Yeah, you'll see that verse, Philippians 4.13. I think Steph Curry at one point used that verse and and put it on his shoes or something like that. Listen, I get it. I know what you're trying to say, but that's not the context of it. And the Bible says what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. So we have to be accurate with the Word of God. All right, here's another one. I just spoke of this recently, but I couldn't leave it out. It's James 4.17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, It is sin for them. Okay, so this verse is not saying that we need to do good or else we are sinning. In other words, we need to serve in the church. We need to give tithes and offerings. We need to walk little old ladies across the street, okay? (laughs) I mean, it's not talking about just doing good things, right? Um, And of course, I believe that serving Jesus is one of the mandates of the Christian journey of faith. So understand that. I'm not saying we shouldn't serve the Lord. We're, We're commanded to serve the Lord. But it's not what this verse is talking about. Okay, with it, that said, the point of the verse has to do with you making plans outside of the will of God. I mean, read the whole section. It's incredible. Verse 13 to verse 17, it talks about a guy who decides to, you know, go away to a different place and get involved in a business. And he makes plans, but he never asks what God's will is. Like he never pursues the heart of God, the will of God. And so ultimately, that's what it's saying. James says, at the end of all this, you don't even know if you're going to live another day. You don't know what life is going to bring your way. And here you are making plans and you're not doing it with the will of God in mind. He says, if you do that, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So in other words, the context is, if you know as a believer in Jesus that you are called to pursue the will of God for your life, for your family's life, right? but you don't do it, now you're living in sin. Not just that you're not serving in the church or not that you're 
you know, not helping out in some area, giving tithes and offerings like we talked about. Those are important things, but the context has to do with the will of God. Is it the priority of your life? Are you pursuing God's will? One of the things that's been really important for me as a father is that I pray for my kids every day when I'm driving into church. I talk about that all the time. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing I pray over each one of them is that they will pursue the will of God for their lives because that has to be the priority. That would be number four. Number four. Any thoughts on that? No, I think you hit that good. Yeah, it's been a it's been a big one. All right, here's the last one. Oh, we just need to do it in the voice, okay? Yeah. Just go with me a little bit, okay? This we're gonna butcher this one too, but here you go. Do, do not, not judge, judge, or you, you will, will be, be judged. Judged. Uh-huh. Judge not. I mean, I, I hear I, people saying that all the time. That's the John Scally voice. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We're getting a little weird on this one, aren't we? A little bit. All right, here's the thing about this one, okay? A lot of people will use this verse out of context all the time. But if you read the next few verses, again, context means so much. It's everything, right? Read verses 2 through 5, and you see that Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, is challenging the religious leaders not to be hypocrites. He talks about the person who worries about the sawdust in someone else's eye when they have a plank a beam of wood in their own eye. In other words, they're being very self-righteous and they're trying to call people out to make themselves look good when they themselves are living in sin. So this verse is not a unilateral objection to judging. In fact, the Bible talks about a righteous man is called to judge all things. And there's a great example of this in 1 Corinthians 5 where there's this guy who's sleeping with his father's wife and Paul's very upset. The apostle Paul, he writes a letter, he's very upset with the church because they're not dealing with this guy. And he says to them, you should have cast him out of the church for his sin. You should have judged his sin. Paul actually talks about those who don't know Christ. We're not necessarily going to judge them because it's not surprising how they're living. But the person who is a believer in Jesus in the church, if they're living in blatant sin, unrepentant, arrogant, not looking to change, Paul says that we are called to judge that person. And so When you look at the verse here in Matthew, Jesus is clearly speaking to the religious leaders of that day that were self-righteous. They looked at themselves. They thought that they were good in their own deeds, and they had created all these laws and rules and regulations that were not actually part of the Mosaic law just to make themselves look good. And they inflicted all these laws and regulations on the people to make it harsh and hard for them. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He's condemning their self-righteous judgment, the kind of judgment the kind of self-righteousness that's very self-centered, very manipulative. And it's important for us to understand, he's not saying that a humble person shouldn't judge a situation or even a person. If you read in Galatians 6, 1 through 5, the Bible talks about you who are spiritual, restoring such a one who's been caught in a fall, someone who's living in sin. You who are spiritual, it literally means you who are led by the Holy Spirit. You should be involved in the process of helping that person come back to the Christ. It, it gives the idea that the person who's caught in a sin, it, it's the idea of breaking a bone and you're going to, as a doctor would, reset that broken arm to help it heal correctly. And he even says, watch yourself or else you will be judged. In other words, don't be self-righteous like the Pharisees, but be kind and gracious and help that person. But it's loving confrontation in Galatians 6. That's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And so, do not judge or you too will be judged. People like to use it out of context all the time. And not just in the church, especially those who don't know Christ, they'll be like, well, you're just judgmental. But in reality, 
if we love people, we're confronting them kindly. Mm -hmm. That's an important word, right? Yes. Kindly in their sin. So I would say that's one of the top ones too. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. I will give you an honorable mention, and I'm not going to actually get into examples of this, but this is a big one that I see in the culture all the time. And it has to do with interpreting the Old Testament for the New Testament covenant. Hmm. I'll see people say, you know, they'll they'll try to reason why certain sins are okay based on things that the Old Covenant for the Jews consisted of, you know, whether it had to do with certain cloth strains or different animals or things that Jews are not allowed to either wear or eat or, or whatever. And they'll be like, you need to deal with that instead of worrying about homosexuality or what, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And there's a real misunderstanding of what I like to call dispensations or the context of the Jews versus the Gentiles. And even Paul set the record straight uh, later on when he challenged Peter, who was at a point struggling early on after Jesus had ascended to heaven, struggling with causing uh, the the Gentiles to have to do certain things. Uh, to be like the Jews, and and Paul set Peter straight. And then in Acts chapter 15, James, who was basically the lead elder uh, in the council of Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem, they come together and they decide that no longer do Gentiles need to be circumcised or to follow certain things that the Jews did. And so, again, there's a context to everything. That's the important thing. So these are the top five Bible verses that are commonly used out of context don't use the Bible out of context. The best thing that you can do when you're reading a verse is read the verses in front of it, read the verses behind it, and seek out the context. We like to call it the grammatical historical context of what was going on then and how we can properly apply it for us today. Mm-hmm. Just one thing that keeps coming to mind when you say in con- or out of context is when you're reading one verse, you're zoomed in on it, right? And if you can zoom out... I'm just speaking photographically here. If you can zoom out and see the bigger picture, that'll that'll help you to understand the meaning. Yeah, I like that analogy. That's good. Cool. Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I, I really like this format, this top five. So if you have like a top five list that you'd like us to go through, um, we would love to hear your opinions on that. You can email john at weareemmanuel.life and we can talk about that on a future episode. So thank you for listening. There you go. We, we botched that a little bit. Well, Sorry. we did. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to do that. It's Surprise. all good. It was, it was fun, right? Okay, so...